Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. I said before, remember that uh, the devil, he doesn't know what God's got in mind. He doesn't understand. He hasn't got 66 books of the Bible that haven't been written yet. So you figure what's going on in that little snake head. <laughs> The seed of the woman. Now, what is God talking about? Seed of the woman is going to bruise my head. You're going to get a headache. What, what does he mean by seed? How can the woman have seed? Remember, the devil's ne- never seen a baby born yet. There's never been any cupid dolls, cupid angels, baby angels around with little wings. Those angels neither marry nor are given in marriage to, so they've been uh, probably treated, uh, created en masse or individually, however God shows it, but uh, angels neither marry nor are given in marriage, and now the, the serpent is beholding a new creation here, a man and a woman, that through marriage and through the union in marriage are going to produce a seed. And, uh, you know, the devil must have looked, wow, it's just unreal. I've never seen a baby angel, but a baby human being. And that thing's going to crash my head? So we start off in chapter, chapter 4 with these two persons. Now, let's just uh, bring in something else that we covered last week because here we begin the seed of the serpent in Cain. And over here we begin the seed of the woman in Abel. And we want to look at these two men because uh, though the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 5, let's go over to Genesis 5, a point we often uh, miss. Um, verse 3 and 4 of Genesis 5. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after he given called his name Seth. Seth, as we see, was to replace uh, Abel. And the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years. Well, that's a mighty long time to live. And he begat sons and daughters. Now, how many sons and daughters did Adam beget? We don't know. All God does, he picks out two. And it's the same with all, all the rest of the patriarchs here. We just have, they beget sons and daughters, they beget sons and daughters, they beget sons and daughters, they beget sons and daughters. But all God picks out is certain seeds, the firstborn in the seed line. So these two men, the first two children on earth, they become representative men. They become uh, typical men, representative men, what's seen in Cain and what's seen in, uh, seen in Abel. So Abel be- represents the seed of the woman and Cain becomes uh, to represent the seed of the serpent. Now, let's uh, go to verse um, 1 and 2. So here we have the firstborn. Now, I want to put a lot of material on the board if we can, so I'm going to have to keep it small. First thing about Cain is he is the firstborn. The first baby that's born into the earth. And uh, I wonder what Adam and Eve felt and an experience to be the first mother and father and to see the first child born into the world. No midwife around to help or anything like that. And belonging to the firstborn was the birthright. Now we'll pick these things up as we go through the chapter again. Belonging to the firstborn was the, the birthright here. Now, we're told in, uh, in uh, verse 1, by the way, I'll give the interpretation of their names here. Cain, his name means gotten or acquired, and he was a farmer. And you'll notice what uh, the, the uh, thought is in verse 1. Uh, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now, what she is actually saying, uh, so the Hebrew experts tell me, and uh, I believe it's consistent, um, I had gotten the man-child from the Lord. Now you put yourself back here, see. Uh, we won't get too complicated on this, but the, the woman changes over the centuries. In every generation there's been some particular woman and some particular seed. In every generation there's been the serpent and the seed of the serpent until we come way down to what we alluded to a couple of weeks back where the ultimate woman is the bride of Christ the church and the seed of that woman that is to bruise the serpent's head but it begins with the first woman 
The ultimate woman is the church because we see, we have seen that Eve was a type of the church. But there's a woman in every generation and seed of the woman and there's the serpent in every generation, seed of the serpent. And, and what began here finds its ultimate in the book of Revelation, the same as what began here finds its ultimate in the book of Revelation. See, so we've got to keep in mind and the devil doesn't, he can't figure this out. So uh, the, the Eve has heard the promise the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head. She doesn't understand all the theology of this yet. It's an enigmatic way, an enigmatic saying of what's going to happen, and she doesn't figure it out. She hasn't been to PDC. <laughs> we kids know that, but she didn't know it. She didn't have Kevin Connor for a dean. <laughs> Teaches some of these things. Praise God. Um, so as soon as this child's born, she's literally saying, oh, I've got the man. I've got the man child from the Lord. This is the, this is the seed. This must be the seed that's going to bruise the serpent's head. And so the little serpent scratched his head and said, wow, if this is the seed of the woman, man, this is, this is amazing, a woman producing a little baby. And if that's the seed that's going to bruise my head, then I'm going to work on this guy. Before he bruises my head, I'm going to bruise him. I'm going to fix him. Okay? So this whole satanic thing starts to operate in that firstborn with the birthright. Now, verse 2, the next child is born, the secondborn, Abel. And Abel, his name means that which ascends or vanity. He is a keeper of sheep. You'll notice the occupations of these two sons. Cain is a farmer and uh, works on the produce of the earth. Abel is a shepherd and cares for sheep. So Abel means uh, that which ascends or vanity. Now, in verse 3, you'll notice, and those of you who have maybe another translation or the marginal reference, it says, and in process of time, or literally in the end of days, what days, what time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord, and Abel brought. Now, where did they bring these offerings to? We have the first religious meeting here. And they're going to bring the offerings to some place that God has because we have a place of worship, we have time of worship and we have offerings in worship now. In process of time or in the end of days, each of them bring an offering to the Lord. Now where is the Lord? If we don't have chapter 4 in between, we'll remember what we went through last week. And remember, let's link up with verse 16 which adds to this thought. And Cain went out from the presence. All right, where is the presence? Now, let's look, look what we did last week and sort of bring in the chapters together here. We remember from last week, I'll just uh, make this small, we, 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 we showed from the Hebrew that God placed or caused to dwell in Eden at the east of the garden, the tabernacle, the first tabernacle, and we have, as we saw last week, cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to keep the way to the tree of life. And we have here by information the brazen altar, though there's no mention of an altar, but we have it by implication, in which we saw with the coats of skin and the first intimation of blood sacrifice, substitutionary sacrifice. And this is where the presence is. So in process of time, Cain brought his offering. Where did he bring it? He brought it to the Lord because here is the cherubims and the flaming sword and the presence of God, the Shekinah glory is here at the tabernacle of Eden, at the gate of Eden. This is where the presence is. This is where the glory is. And so Cain brought his offering to the Lord and Abel brought his offering to the Lord. So they both come in the process of time or in the end of days, some appointed day for worship and they're going to worship the Lord both bringing their offerings to the Lord. Now, what's God's response? Verse 3 and 4, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he brought also brought of the first things of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect 
unto Abel and to his offering. Now, let's just uh, take a few thoughts of, of these boys' offerings because unless we see things from God's viewpoint, we could look at this and say, well, why is God so mean? Why didn't he accept Cain's offering? Why does he favor Abel? What is this whole religious warfare about? And remember, there's going to be enmity between the serpent and the woman because the serpent deceived the woman and yet God gives the promise to the woman that from the, from the woman, though she was deceived in the fall, yet from the woman God would bring forth a seed that would in turn judge the serpent's head. So he sees there's going to be seed here and seed here, bruising on either side and a head and a heel. And so he thinks this is it, same as Eve does. And so God had respect. Now, I want to, want to suggest what I believe that respect is here while we're at it. Uh, you'll find in subsequent, uh, subsequent revelations that uh, when uh, the tabernacle of Moses was set up here and Moses put the offerings on there, fire came out from the glory and burnt the offering. That's in the tabernacle of Moses. When David... Uh, built an altar to the Lord after he'd numbered the people without the atonement, fire came down from heaven and burnt on the offering. And when Solomon dedicated the temple, the glory of God filled the temple, the most holy place, over the cherubims, and out from the glory over the cherubims came fire and burnt. And when, when it says God had respect, God always put the fire, that was the seal of his acceptance on the sacrifice. And you see, the fulfillment of all this is when we come to the Lord and we present ourselves a living sacrifice, we are baptized with the Holy Ghost and, and the fire of the Holy Ghost is God's acceptance of us as a living sacrifice. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. As 120 are presenting themselves a living sacrifice, God sent the Holy Ghost and fire down from heaven. They were now the altar. I give myself to be a living sacrifice, see? And the fire of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost was God's seal on a living sacrifice which he'd done all the way through the Old Testament. So I believe implicit in this, in the, in the light of subsequent revelation, is that fire came out from the presence. How did, how did Cain know that he wasn't accepted? How did Abel know that he was accepted? All right, now let's pick up a couple of things about Cain's offering. Uh, four things I want you to pick up here. And uh, as I said, let's see this serpent that's behind this working on this boy because he thinks, oh, if, if this fellow's going to bruise my head, I'm going to fix him before he gets a chance. Okay, number one, the first thing this fellow bought, as most of us are familiar with, he bought of the fruit, the fruit of the ground. I'm just going to write this more because this has got a lot of stuff to put on here. The fruit of the ground. Number two, his offering was bloodless. Now you see, let's look at the first point at a moment here. Fruit of the ground, what had God done to the ground? Cursed it. So now he is bringing to God that which has a curse upon it, that which is the product of a cursed earth. And how can God accept it? Eh? No way. All right? And then he brings a bloodless offering. That speaks volumes there. And then number three, it was something he had worked for. Worked. That's right. Worked. I worked for this God. In the sweat of my brow and a cursed earth and in the sweat of my brow, I worked for this except my beautiful fruit offering. I know it's bloodless, but I still worked hard. And here we have the doctrine of work. And the whole root problem of this thing of the fruit of the cursed ground, bloodless offering, and, and doctrine of works was summarized in one word, unbelief. All right, now let's go over this side and we'll pick out what Abel does. Number one, the first thing we note about Abel was he brought a lamb. Does it say a lamb? I think it does. Or does it? Well, it could be, it could have been a lamb or a... Uh, Sheep or goats, the margin says. Okay, we'll say a lamb anyway. Uh, margin has sheep or goats, the flock. Also, he brought of the firstlings of his flock. Now, notice we, we start off this thought of the lamb. I'll put down a lamb, whether it's a lamb or a goat. Uh, and we have the firstlings, the firstborn. 
God see a firstborn sacrifice, a firstborn lamb. And not only does he bring this, thing, uh, this lamb and firstborn of the Lord, he offers the fat thereof. Now, does anybody know what the fat represents? Because you'll find in subsequent revelation that God always demanded the fat. Nobody was to eat the fat. The fat of every sacrifice was to be burnt upon the altar. How many know what the fat represents? Students, any of you know what the fat represents? Gary, you're looking intelligent there. <laughs> right, the word fat in several passages in Numbers and Leviticus and so forth always means the best. Uh, now let's look at it. Why does it mean the best? What does the fat do to the body? Where, where is the, you know, I mean, I've got, I hope I haven't got too much overspreaded of abominations here, but uh, <laughs> uh, what does the fat do to the kidneys? Kidneys, uh, kidneys. <laughs> I said kidneys, didn't I? Uh, uh <laughs> what does the fat do? It protects, it's the warmth. See, and whenever God speaks of the fat in Scripture, it always speaks of the warmth of the inward parts of the affections. And so he says, I always want the fat. I want the best. I want the warmth of your affections. And when you go through that, uh, through the Scripture, see, so thou desires truth in the inward parts. And so every, every subsequent fat, uh, sacrifice, God said, you know, take the kidneys and the liver and the heart and the call and the fat around the kidney and so forth. I want all those on the altar because all of them symbolize the inward parts, which are the best. Take my inward affections. Yeah? That's what is represented. So you see what he's doing? Number three, the third thing we note about this is, um, of course, by its very implication here, we have a blood sacrifice. I'll put blood and body here. Now, you'll notice he's not just offering a beautiful lamb because it's not the life of the lamb or the blemishlessness of the lamb that counts, it's the death of the lamb that counts. And it's not the perfect life of Jesus that saves us. His perfect life condemns us like the law of Moses. It's his death that saves us, then his life. And the whole foundation of this is, would somebody like to turn to Hebrews 11 and verse 4 and read it out for us, please? Hebrews 11 and verse 4. Somebody find that for me, please. Who's got it? Hebrews 11 verse 4. Got it, Ken, there. Read it out. Stand up and read it out loud, Ken. Face around and read it loud. Thank you. Everybody got their Bible open to that? Just sort of flip your Bible open to there and just see what Ken's read, see? And break it up a little. By faith, Abel. Often under God, a more excellent sacrifice. Now, that was a good sacrifice because later on under the Levitical offering, God would tell them to bring the first fruits. But the first fruits offering were not first. The first fruits offering must be a blood sacrifice. Then there. And Cain is bypassing the blood. Just exactly what the serpent hates. He hates the blood. And now the serpent has put it into the mind of Cain. Don't you go to that blood religion, that slaughterhouse religion. Have a bloodless offering. Something you do. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testified. Now, how did God testify? God had respect. God testified of his gift. And personally, I believe, as I said, that by implication we have the fire of God coming out and consuming Abel's sacrifice here, sealing and testifying to him that he was accepted uh, and not to Cain. Okay, now, I want you to go over to a couple of scriptures here. Uh, Steve has already mentioned the thought by way of anticipation what I was going to uh, touch on now. But just to give you a couple of scriptures to support this thought here. Um, Hebrews, now let's see. Um, 
Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. And verse 8. Galatians 3 verse 8. Daryl, why don't you stand up and read it, would you please? Thank you. Thank you. So how many believe that when God said to Abraham, in thee shall all nations be blessed, he was preaching the gospel? Is that right? That's what it says. See, God foreseeing that he would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel to Abraham. So the gospel was preached to Abraham. You say, well, the word gospel is not used in the Old Testament. No, but the gospel was preached. So when God said to Abraham, in thy seed shall all nations be blessed, that was the gospel. Okay, let's go over to, to uh, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4. And Arnold, why don't you read verse uh, 1 and 2 for us, please. Stand up and uh, turn around there and read it. Thank you. Hebrews 4, verse 1 and 2. So when, when, when Joshua and Caleb told Israel about the promised land, what were they doing? The land of rest. They were preaching the gospel. See, unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, and those of you who have a marginal reference, it's interesting, uh, not being mixed with faith, and the margin says, because they were not united by faith unto us. Now, I've read you those scriptures just to confirm what Steve said and what he anticipated I was going to say. Um, where did Cain or Abel, where did Abel get the faith? By faith. Where does faith come from? Romans 10, 17, everybody should know it. Romans 10, 17. So then, say it all together, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So where did Abel get faith from? The word of God. Where did he get it from? Where did he get the gospel from? His parents. So here are two kids born into the same family and they hear the gospel from their parents. So Adam and Eve, mum and dad told them the gospel and says, listen, we were in the Garden of Eden, we were at the trees and we disobeyed God and we come under the penalty of death and uh, when God came on the scene we had to throw away our fig leaves and things that we'd done works to make ourselves acceptable and accept a blood and body sacrifice a substitutionary sacrifice we had to have faith in the death of another we had to let God clothe us and make us acceptable to himself his way and God gave us the gospel he said the seed of the woman will bruise the serpent's head and so we believe this we've accepted it Cain, will you accept it? Abel, will you accept it? Now we see the response of the kids. Abel has allowed the gospel that Adam and Eve preached to them to create faith. Yes, I believe it. I receive it and I'm going to come God's way. I'm going to come through the death of another. I'm going to present the lamb, the firstborn, the body and blood and between me and, and God there will be the body and blood of a sacrificial victim and I'm going to do this in faith. Faith of what? Faith in the coming Lamb of God. Faith in the firstborn of Mary. Faith in the body and blood of Jesus. The seed of the woman that's going to come. Abel's response is, I don't believe it. I'm not going to accept it. I'm going to do something. I don't like this blood religion. And so we see first conflict coming right up there. The first religious war. All right, now let's uh, go back to Genesis 4 again and let's see what happens after this. All right, so we can put over here on this side, uh, Cain is rejected. 
or should I say his offering is rejected and Abel's offering is accepted. And Abel becomes a faith-righteous man. Now look at the mercy of God because God makes a little altar call here, so to speak. He comes and pleads with Cain and, and uh, verse 5 of Genesis 4, Under Cain and to his offering he had not respect and Cain was wroth and his countenance foul. So the Lord says to him, Why are you mad? Why are you getting mad? Why is your countenance fallen? He says, and now you notice the pleading God gives him a chance here. He says, look, if you do well, you'll be accepted. The margin says you'll have the excellency. And if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. And uh, they, the Hebrew guys tell me that the thought of this is sin, that there's a double thought here, that sin is lying at the door or sin is crouching at the door as a beast ready to spring upon you. And then others suggest that uh, if you do well, if you do not well, uh, there's still a sin offering at the door that Abel has brought. You can go and accept that. Probably both thoughts could be right. And look what the Lord says about the right of the firstborn. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. In other words, you will still be the firstborn. You'll still have the birthright, which involves rulership. And Abel will still secondborn, but if you don't, I'm going to have to make him the firstborn and give him your, your birthright. So God pled with Abel, uh, pled with Cain. And what's Cain's response? Verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that he rose up against his brother and slew him. Now, we have two characteristics of Cain, and I'd like you to go over to a couple of scriptures uh, three scriptures from the New Testament now because you see what is happening now Cain is now becoming in true sense the seed of the serpent and two major characteristics of the serpent are coming out in, in, in Cain now so that it becomes serpent seed alright John chapter 8 verse 44 John 8 44 two major characteristics of Jesus uh, spoke of, of um, concerning Satan. And these are manifest in Cain. So he's taking on the characteristics of the serpent. Alright, uh, John 8, 44. Uh, Year of your father the devil. Well, it sounds like there's some serpent seed around here. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father. What are the two major things, characteristics of the devil there? Murderer and liar. Now Cain becomes the first murderer. And when God comes on the scene, where's your brother? He said, I don't know. Lie. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for him? He's big enough to look after himself. Okay, now the serpent nature, the certain characteristic is coming out in this first human being, a murderer and a liar. First John, let's turn to First John, little John, and see what else it says about him. First John chapter 2. John chapter, uh, chapter 2, let's see. Somebody might be able to pick it up about, what's that? 312, yeah, well, I've got that one, but there's another one about murder. Oh, it's in, three, yes, three, chapter 3, thank you. Chapter 3, and um, we'll take verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil... Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Now see, the two children are starting to manifest. The children of God, and child of God, and child of the devil. Righteous. For this is the message that we have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, 
who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So the root problem there was hatred. Hatred. Okay, let's go back to uh, um, Genesis again now. Pick up some other things here. Now after the Lord asked Cain where his brother was, he said, I know not. So now he's a murderer and now he's a liar. Am I my brother's keeping? You know, it must have been a lot of sorrow to the heart of God to look on this scene. The beautiful man and the woman that he created and now the first two babies born into the world and the first murderer. And think how that thing is on the increase today. Murderers and liars following the way of Cain and the enmity and warfare and conflict that is rising up against the able church that believes in the atonement. And just the little issue on politics reveals that everybody's exposing themselves whether they're following the way of Cain or the way of Abel. Everyone's going to fall into one of those companies, see, in these days because we're living in the ultimate of this thing because this is the seed book. So God says, your brother's blood is crying unto me from the ground. This is the first mention of blood in the scripture and it shows that blood has a voice. Blood cries to God. Crying to God. Hebrews 12 verse 24 for those who are taking notes uh, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The blood of Abel, the blood of Jesus speaks, the blood of Abel speaks. What's it crying for? It's crying for vengeance. Now, note verse 11 because we've got a sudden change here. And God says to Cain, Now thou art cursed. Now remember we said God did not curse the man or the woman made in his image, not Adam and Eve, because they accepted the atonement. But now the first man in the Bible to receive a curse is a murderer and a liar and a blood of the lamb rejecter. That's the only thing that brings the curse. See? Thou art cursed. The first man to receive a curse, which hath opened her mouth, uh, cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth. But the double curse says, you be a fugitive and vagabond, and uh, so forth. Cain says, My iniquity is greater than it may be forgiven. In other words, I've committed the unpardonable sin. Or when God Himself pleads with a man, and a man rejects it, what, what is there to do? It becomes the unpardonable sin. That's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, we can say. Okay. And so he says, I'll be hid from your face. And he says, everyone that finds me will kill me. Then we go down to verse 15 and we find that the Lord set a mark upon Cain. I'll put it alongside here because the board's a bit short on the bottom here. We don't know what sort of a mark it was, but... We see it's a seed of something. Put a mark upon Cain. And Cain went out from the presence. Where is the presence? Right here. A visible manifestation of the presence in the cherubims and the flaming sword. Just as there was a visible manifestation of the presence in the cherubim and the bloodstained mercy seat. That's where the presence was. So Cain went out from the presence went into the land of Nod. Nod means wandering. Went into the land of wandering. Now, verse 17 through to 18, we'll pick up here. Time moves on. Very interesting here. I'll just have to throw some thoughts out here and uh, give significance in a moment. We have now six generations of Cain. Six. Now, we see what's developing in this seed of the serpent. Enmity and warfare and conflict against the seed of the woman, bruising Abel, the first martyr. Over here, the first martyr was a shepherd pointing to Jesus as a shepherd. And that Cain, religious Cainite spirit and the Pharisees and scribes that would rise up against Jesus, the shepherd, and kill him who is the lamb. 
because of their works and unbelief. And so now we have six generations and you'll notice none of their years are mentioned. None of their years are mentioned. Now, as you go down the rest of the chapter here, we find, I'm just going to list some of the characteristics of these generations. Uh, we'll take from verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, she conceived and bare Enoch. Don't get mixed up with the other Enoch in the guided line. He built a city, called it after the name of his son, and unto Enoch was born Erad, and Erad begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. Now, Lamech took him two wives. Also, now we're going from murderers and liars and blood of the land rejectors to polygamous. And from polygamy we go to um, verse 20, father of such as dwell in tents and have cattle, cattle ranches, <laughs> uh, musicians, isn't it interesting, the first use of music, musical instruments, was in the ungodly line? And what sort of uh, music do you think the ungodly line were playing? Right. <laughs> right, I'm sure. But it wasn't godly music, you know. Cain, what, what sort of music can come from that line? Eh? Then we have instruments of iron, artifices in verse 22. And then notice in verse 23, Lamech says to his two wives I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt if Cain will be avenged seven times sevenfold Lamech seventy times seven begins a seed thought there that we can't get into alright I want you to note what's in this line then if you have a little thing you can put those six generations down here the six names but now we have polygamy polygamy uh, music music I'm sure it wasn't good holy music. And uh, artifices, instruments of iron and brass. Who told them how to get iron and brass out of the earth? According to some apocryphal, apocryphal books, evil angels came to the line of Cain and told them how to dig out of the earth iron and brass and what they could do with it. Very interesting thought. Now let's go over to chapter, ten, uh, chapter 5, pardon me, quickly here for our last few moments. When we go to, now we, we find that we have Abel's the first martyr, and so he's replaced by a substitute seed called Seth. And then in Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to pick up one of them next week, I think, we have ten generations listed. Ten generations in contrast to six. And I want you to notice what God says about this, this, uh, this line because you see we're following serpent seed and the characteristics of the serpent seed and we're following the seed of the woman and the characteristics of the seed of the woman. All through this chapter we have Adam lived 900 years and 930 years and he died. Verse 8, all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Verse 11, all the days of Enos uh, 905 years and he died eight times in that chapter and he died and he died the death bell tolled but there's one who escaped it Enoch now what is in this godly line here's the point every one of the firstborn that are mentioned in this godly line by faith Abel by faith Noah by faith by faith every one that are in the godly line their years are mentioned but none of the years of the ungodly are mentioned you know why because when a person is unregenerate when they're not saved time doesn't count with God it's lost but all those who serve God time counts and for every one of the godly line here their years are mentioned but not once for the ungodly not in here wasted time that's why the tragedy of those who backslide those years are not counted and when they do come back to the Lord they say if only I could redeem that time the wasted years and then when I was a little kid in the Salvation Army and I'd hear some of the old people say if only I hadn't wasted 30 years of my life young people don't waste 30 years of your life and I'm glad that I haven't had a wasted life I've served the Lord for 40, what am I, 54 nearly, 40 years of my life 
just been happiness serving him. Years outside of Christ are lost time. All right, in the godly line, this is what you'll find. As we sort of come to closing thoughts here, we have the prophetic spirit on the godly line. We have Noah, who is a preacher of righteousness, and he's a man who uh, has the word and the spirit upon him. He, he was a preacher of righteousness, and the spirit of the Lord spoke through Noah. And we have Enoch, a man who escaped death, a seventh from Adam. So right through this seed of the woman, we have these godly characteristics, men of faith, men with the prophetic spirit upon them, men with the word of God, men who walked with God. Now, the ultimate of all this is, and let's go to about one more verse, uh, let's go way over to the epistle of Jude. The epistle of Jude. The epistle of Jude, just before Revelation, just for a little expression here. And uh, it can go down the bottom if you've been taking this diagram over on that side. Jude and verse 11. Woe unto them, he's referring to apostates, woe unto them for they have gone in the way of Cain. What is the way of Cain? Exactly what we've seen here. What is the way of Abel? The way of faith. The way of faith in the blood. The way of Cain is the way of works and unbelief. And when we follow this thing through, this is what it ends up. In the book of Revelation, we will find a woman and we'll find the seed of the woman and we'll find all those that began here in faith right through to the woman in Revelation chapter 12, we will find that the characteristics of this is upon them. Prophetic spirit, faith in the atonement, true to the faith of the Lamb of God, right through the last day. Shepherding heart, prophetic spirit, some who are going to escape death, men who are preachers of righteousness, men and women who have the word and the spirit upon them. They'll have those characteristics. That's going to be the woman and the seed in the book of Revelation. Number 10, the end time number. The ultimate of this is in the book of Revelation because we're going to find all those, and you may as well put it under two lines, believers, unbelievers. All unbelievers will identify with their head man who have rejected the blood, who have worked for themselves, who have been filled with unbelief, and who are characterized by murder and lying and the curse. And they end up, there were six generations here, and a mark upon the man. They will end up in Revelation 13. See, that's Revelation 12. This is Revelation 13. The mark of the beast, which is 666. Music, corrupt marriages. It's all evident today, isn't it? So all the world is going to end up under two head men. They're either going to head up under the way of Cain or under the way of Abel. How many are glad to be under the way of Abel? The line of faith. I'm glad that I can confess my faith in the atonement in the Lamb of God, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, let's stand. Our time's up. Fred, why don't you come out here and just close in prayer? I'll lend you this and just ask the Lord to seal this word in our hearts and let it seek down deep. Father, we're so grateful that we can have your word, Thank that you. we can know by your word that we are saved yes, that right. salvation has come to us and thank we just you, thank you for it mm. we ask that this word tonight will sink deep into each one of our hearts yes, and that we'll not forget it mm. and that we'll pass it on to others thank that you, don't Lord. know of you mm. we ask this in Jesus name yeah. Amen everybody said Amen, amen. shake hands with one another God bless you real good thank you for it
Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books, and his ministry.